Hey everybody and welcome to episode 29 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have James Uber. Hello from Minneapolis. Rod Schmidt. Hello from Salt Lake. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and we've got a special guest and that is Kevin Muntz. Hello from Columbus, Ohio. So we brought you on today to talk about continuous integration for iOS. Now, if I remember right, didn't they add some kind of continuous integration thing to Xcode? Yes, uh, there is the the bots now with 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 the server, so you can avoid Jenkins if you want to. Um, <laughs> it, it's still a uh, it still got some some limitations, and I think you know going through the pain with Jenkins ends up giving you more flexibility at this point in time. But it, I think it's a really good sign that Apple's putting some some effort and attention on quality and continuous integration. Right, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about using Jenkins. Yeah, that's where most of my experience is from. I've been doing continuous integration in, in other platforms for a long time, cruise control back in the day, and Jenkins for iOS stuff, So, and Ruby before that. I think that's so, pretty much the standard that people have been doing Jenkins for a while. We'd like to get to, into the bots, but they're not quite ready for prime time is what I'm hearing. Have you had enough to, sh- to play around with the bots to know that they're not quite ready? Somewhat, yeah, and I do sort of run into trouble at different points in time, just trying to know where the configuration options are, especially if I'm trying to back out. I'd like to do some maybe some blogging on it, uh, do some speaking on it, so I'm trying to get more familiar with it because it's something that's in my wheelhouse here. But yeah, definitely trying to go back and redo some things, and then I run into issues that I didn't run into the first time, and then trying to do things like I usually in my continuous integration setup, there's the basic stuff where you've got your, you know, does it build, do the tests, run and pass, and maybe some other static analysis, other reports. I also try and usually add in other things where I'll like have a just a ping to see if the APIs that the app hits are healthy or not, and things like that. And I haven't figured out how to tie that sort of thing into the new bot stuff. It seems you know, it's focused on on the bare essentials at this point, so it's it's kind of a lot to expect, I guess. Do you have to have an a separate machine to use bots? Uh, no, I've been uh, fiddling with, with it right on my uh, laptop that I do my normal development on. You need to get the, the server app from the App Store, and I think you can get the promo code through uh, the dev portal so that you don't have to, to buy it. Okay. And then I just ran it locally. It has a lot of options on it, and then uh, at the bottom is the, the Xcode stuff. Nice. So, so let's hark back over to uh, uh, Jenkins real quick. So you set up Jenkins on, do you have to run it on a Mac, like a Mac mini or something? Or can you run Jenkins on a Linux machine and still do the CI stuff? No, you, you have to have a Mac. You have to have all the Xcode tools installed, the command line tools and everything. And you can get started with it right on your own. Your, you know, If you just have a single development machine, you can set it up on there and get it configured and then copy jobs out to somewhere else if you want. If your team has Jenkins in use for other platforms and it's and it's running on, you know, a Linux box or something, you should be able to slave the instances together so that the results of the Mac platform Jenkins can be integrated into the overall CI scheme. But yeah, you just that when I go to Jenkins website to download, I recommend getting the long-term support version because it's not as much churn with the number of updates it gets. A little more stable, i found. Mm-hmm. But then just installing that, there's native installers, and then there's also just a, a Java WAR file 
which is the option that I tend to go with. I, I was a Java developer back in the day and still feel fairly comfortable running it that way. Just a little java-jar jenkins.war and it runs. Do you do you have to allocate a certain amount of memory to it? I know I've had that problem with Jenkins before where I didn't give it enough memory and so it would crap out. I have run into that in the past. I guess I'm not running it as hard these days with uh, the iOS projects I'm, I'm running. But yeah, certainly in the past I have had to add more command line options to get it to, to not fail out because of lack of memory. And then you're you're running your unit tests, I presume, so can you just run those from the command line? Because that's typically where I've seen Jenkins work is, you know, there's some command that you give it and then it collects all the output and gets the return code from the process. Yeah, so I when I use Jenkins, what I try to do is make everything scriptable so it can run outside of Jenkins in the command line. I only rely on plugins here and there as much as I can. Uh, so in a lot of ways, Jenkins is sort of just the scheduler and integrator. So in the past, I've been using the Xcode build command a lot in my scripts. I started finally looking more at the, the Facebook XE tool to get some, some nicer output and options. But uh, the Xcode build command, along with occasionally XE run and uh, some of the others, gives me what I need. You can have it run the test, not run the test, tell it to run against different SDKs and so on. So yeah, usually my first step is getting it to run in the command line, and then I use that command in Jenkins. So are you able to run the unit tests now from the command line? This was a problem in Canx Code 4 with the Jenkins setup, with, at least with the team I was working with. We had a trouble of getting the test running with the application bundle, you know, the old application tests. Is this working better? Yeah, it is better, but it's still painful. There are definitely some hoops to run through at different times, and they, they seem to change... Uh, with every version of Xcode that comes out uh, somewhat, which is why tools like the, the XE tool are, are so much nicer because they help buffer a lot of that. I've uh, in the past had to go into, you know, do the fixes where you're editing some of the scripts that are underneath Xcode so that it has a test host or at least thinks it has a test host. And and then, yeah, things will run. The simulator will kick off if it, you know, if you're, if you're running UIKit stuff in your tests. And then on that topic, too, if, if you are having things where they're hitting the simulator, I've, I've found the path of least resistance is to have, once you get into Jenkins, just a single, I forget the term now, but a single thread, single job, uh, so that you're not having two test suites trying to hit at the same time and both be in the simulator at the same time, because you'll for sure get a failure on one. This sounds like so much fun. I wonder why CI hasn't caught on in the Mac world, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's well, definitely not as easy as it was in, in you know back in my job and Ruby days, that's for sure. But it's slowly getting better. There's certainly a lot of smart people trying to to make it better, and more and more test tools and frameworks uh, showing up and getting more mature. So yeah, people are fighting the good fight, but it's like we're hacking through weeds and stuff to do things that you know Ruby, Java have been doing for years. Yeah, definitely. That's why I'm hopeful with, with the whole bots thing and Xcode 5 having the test navigator and I'm hoping that doesn't languish and gets attention and grows into something that's much easier and lowers the barrier to, to just getting going. Because like you said, a lot of people know they should be testing on iOS, but there's, there's still a lot of pain. And even myself, I don't, you know, every time, every project doesn't always get the attention it should because 
it's it's painful and then you can sink a lot of time when things don't work right so but i keep plugging away i was wondering if maybe we should back up i don't i don't know if a lot of uh, our listeners know what continuous integrations is maybe we should explain what it is and and why you'd want to do it yeah you integrate all the time it's it's a math term integration <laughs> i was told there'd be no calculus <laughs> we lied Kevin, you're the expert. Do you want to explain it to us? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, so basically, I mean, for me, it comes back to, you know, back in the early days of, of, of Agile with the extreme programming stuff there. Ethos was around, you know, code reviews are good, tests are good, you know, integration is good. Let's do them all the time. And that's, like you said, continuously integrating. So the the pain that it tries to solve is the Big Bang integration later on. There's always, you know, if you're not doing continuous integration, you've got points where Things come together, and been working over here, and somebody's been working over there, and it doesn't work together, or something has crept in, or a bug has reappeared. Continuous integration is a term for you know basically there's there's servers, tools you run that will give you feedback more quickly, so there's a shorter time frame of what went wrong, so you can have a better idea what went wrong, what things do, be able to see sort of a health trend in your app. And it, it really, I mean, once you're, once you're on a project with continuous integration and getting that feedback and you get used to that, you really do miss it when it goes away. So continuous integration is just having those sort of health checks primarily build and test at the core all the time where, where it's getting everybody's code together and making sure that things aren't having issues. Yeah. My, my experience has been that, uh, when you have several developers on a team is really where it shines because I may make some changes in the repository and then I push my changes up and I forget to pull your changes down and check them against mine before I do that. And so when I merge it into Git or Subversion or whatever, then the continuous integration server will pull down the merged copy and uh, it'll run all the tests, it'll run the builds, it'll do everything else that you tell it to, and it'll give you that feedback. I haven't seen it as valuable when it's just me working on things other than giving my client warm fuzzies that everything is green where they can see it. <laughs> but with multiple people on the team, it, it really does pay off because... You have, you kind of have a subjective or an objective system that, you know, tells you whether or not you're right or wrong. Oh, yeah. It's a real benefit. I mean, how many projects have we been on where you get 90% done with the project and you're actually only halfway done because the last 10% takes forever? Isn't that I all think. of them? Well, I mean, if you get in there and if you have kind of unit tests set up, your continuous integration, things where you're getting feedback when things break and you're integrating things. I don't run into that nearly as much. I think you can kind of figure out where the pain points are as you go so you can mm -hmm. fix them when they're still in your head. So for me, at least, it's made the kind of the, the last phase of kind of a project just a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, you, know, you, don't, you, you don't have a month of integrating things and fixing bugs because you've been writing the tests and you've been integrating them the entire time. So do yeah, you, I think because it's continuing, you've got, you know, if there is a problem, and there certainly, of course, will still be problems, but you've probably only got one cause in there because there's only been a certain amount of time. Whereas if you wait to do integration, you may have a handful, a multitude of, of causes and things to deal with all at once. Yeah. So when, start, when you're starting a new project, do you 
use continuous integration right out of the gate, or is it at the beginning? Is it more trouble than it's worth because you're just getting started and you're walking all over everybody and whatnot? If you're on a a team of developers, I think in the, the beginning is kind of the best time to get it going because uh-huh. you're not you're not under as much time pressure as you might be later, and there's less going on with the project to you know weigh down the the setup. And certainly you can, you know, I, I recommend just getting the, the basic thing set up where it's pointing at the repository and, and able to check out the code and then able to build the project. Like that baseline, at least I, I recommend getting done early and you can add on later. Now, that said, yeah. when I'm, I am the only one on a project, I do sometimes delay or test less if I'm the only one around. Yeah, I have to say that I'm, I'm generally of the same opinion. At the beginning is where you're you're creating all of your habits for the project. And so by having it in place, you're doing two things. And one is, is that you're, you're putting that check in place to remind people to run their tests and do the builds and do all of the other things that they have to do that are right. And the other thing is, is it gets them in the habit of looking at the CI. And those two habits are things that really, really pay off as you move ahead. And so, and the other thing is, is then you have that check as you're making kind of the foundational decisions of your project. Right. But I would think uh, at the beginning, you know, you haven't had all your interfaces, APIs defined completely. And uh seems like you might have a lot of build there's at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it, it kind of gives you a target to go for. So at least, right. at, at least you're solving the build, build errors. At least you're making sure that the unit tests pass. At least you're making sure that all of these other things are going in, in the right way. So there's no break the build penalties at the beginning. <laughs> Why not? Some some teams do that. Yeah. I haven't had the pleasure of working on a team that uses continuous integration. I've been on my own for so long. Yeah. Yeah, I like the public shaming route. And it can be anything from a dude, you broke the build, you know, and just that much humiliation all the way up to. I've seen teams make people, like, wear funny hats and do stupid dances and things if they break the build. Yeah, you definitely have a lot of fun with that. Yep. So how how does uh, continuous integration generally fit into your workflow, Kevin? It's kind of funny. I, lately, I've been the only one on a project, at least at, at the beginning. So it's, for me, been less urgent. But like I said, I, I still like to set up Jenkins in the beginning um, and get at least things running. Uh, as APIs start showing up, I'll start setting up uh, watch jobs for those. And once I'm there, then I, I just sort of go ahead with, with the project. Later on, then, as we get further, I like to, if I haven't already, start adding in some jobs that will try and look at you know, code coverage or static analysis of the code, uh, look for duplicate code, things like that. Actually pulling in, at times, some of the tools from my, my Java days, like CPD from the PMD project, the copy-paste detector, that will look for blocks of code. Uh, within certain thresholds that are effectively the same. So you can look for refactoring opportunities and things. And I try to make some time for that. I like, you know, I like when my Xcode projects have no build warnings and I, I treat the CI server reports kind of the same way. I like to get as clean as possible uh, with what I do. So once it's set up in there, it's nice having it humming along and, and giving me reports when things go awry, but I also like looking at it when things are good and seeing what I can improve. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the report tools that you use. Now, I, I tried doing this with like kind of code coverage, because LLVM's got their kind of code coverage generator, 
and it seemed to have broken at some point, like iOS 5. It worked at one point, stopped working right about the time I wanted to use it. All right, how do yeah. you get uh, code, your, kind of your test coverage? The tool I ended up with, because, yeah, it's, it's sort of changed over time. There's a Python script called uh, GCov that, um, or GCover rather, that uses the GCov uh, output to produce the reports. And it's kind of, you have to turn on some things in your, in your uh, build settings for making sure the debugging information is there and some other flags so that it has something to tie back to the source with. But, you know, again, with multiple hoops, uh, you can get there and get a, a halfway decent report and HTML report in Jenkins that you can step through. The G cover, if I remember correctly, it turns that into an XML format that then the Cobertura plugin, Cobertura is a, a coverage tool from the, the Java world, can turn into an HTML report so you can see in your classes, you know, what was exercised by your tests. Oh, very cool. So yeah, this all works nice. for Objective C and it works great. Do you try yeah. to get 100% test coverage? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I used to back many years ago. In fact, there was even a tool that I very briefly used in the Java world where uh, you extended it as your base test class. I think it was called, it was either called Hansel or Gretel. I can't remember which. And, and it would fail your test if it wasn't 100% covered. It was pretty ruthless, pretty brutal. Okay. No, I, I, I try and test sort of the, the, the key points, the key features, the key functions, and try and stay on, you know, mostly the, the public API of things. You know, in, in, a, in a sense, I guess the way that I tend to think about it is I want to at least cover the happy path, and then I stretch out into exception paths where I'm needing to make sure that, that things are handled well. So if you're doing a universal app, do you ever run two tests for iPad and iPhone? Uh, usually not at the unit level, but with uh, when I use UI automation, which isn't every time, I do have separate scripts for those. And uh, when you're doing that, uh, one of the big lessons I learned as I attempted that, if you're running these on your development machine, the simulator will sort of by default launch back into whatever mode, you know, the iPad simulator, iPhone simulator that you last ran it in in Xcode, which if you're trying to run your iPad, like if it was an iPhone last time and now you're trying to run the iPad UI automation script, that's not going to work out the way you wanted it to. Um, so one of the tools that has come in handy that I discovered as part of this problem and then have used other places is uh, a little command called plistbuddy, and it lets you edit, you know, write to and from a script to plists. And being able to do that lets you set what simulator mode you want to run. So I'm able to switch programmatically in the in the scripts before the different types. So if I, you know, when I am doing a universal app and I've got UI automation tests, that's how you can control when you want which kind. How do you guys handle uh, distribution for like beta tests and stuff? Are you doing that every build, or do you have to do a configure a special setup to do distributions, or how do you handle that? For like test flight or something. Yeah. I usually make a separate job in Jenkins just for that. So I can sort of push button, do a deployment. And I was doing that with test flight on the last couple projects before that. But then now uh, I've switched to hockey and I haven't integrated that in, but it seems like it'll be able to be automated the same kind of way. Cause uh, with, with test flight, there's 
basically a equal with a curl request. You can send up your PA and your DSIM zip and get that all up there. Do you generally do a manual test, press this button, send it to test flight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, from, from the CI server. Okay. Yeah, I've also seen it where you can do a tag in like a Git repository. So if you set this tag, you can set up your CI server to notice that and fire off a build and upload it. So you don't have to... Oh, that's cool. I've yeah, seen it done. We did it with Team City. I, I'm sure you could do it with Jenkins, but... Hmm, I like that idea. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do on every successful build or even necessarily on a nightly schedule. Um, yeah, it was something where you explicitly set a tag with your commit and the source control would re- would recognize that and fire it off. So it's not happening after every every build. Yeah, that's great. I always tag my builds that go through test flight or, or hockey anyway, so that would fit right in. <laughs> so then you'd have a manual job to release to the app store probably too. Uh, I've, I've always handled the app store stuff manually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would that work? I'm, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be afraid. <laughs> I, I have the fear. <laughs> they'd know. They'd know. It's a rejection. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just a different how, provisioning profile. Yeah, I was going to say, depending on how involved your process is for getting stuff ready for the the store. I mean, running a script versus whatever, you know, doing it by hand. I don't think it really matters as long as it's done right. There are other, there are things that go along though with, with screenshots and app descriptions and all that stuff. Yeah, I guess that's true. But if, but if you already have that set up, then, then you're good to go. So what we want to do is submit to the app store after every check-in. It's like extreme continuous <laughs> delivery, right? There you go. <laughs> well, I've been hearing this, this word, and I'm not sure what it is, continuous deployment. Does anyone know what that is? So I, I see this with web apps more often than not. Mm-hmm. And typically what the discussion there is is, you know, assuming your tests pass the continuous integration step where it runs all the tests and everything else, then it will actually automatically deploy your application to the server. Mm-hmm. And so I'm assuming that you could do the same thing with your iOS apps. If it passes all the tests, well, then, it's, then it goes up to iTunes. It's not really worth it because you got to wait two weeks for Apple to approve it anyway. Right. Right, so in that case, it, it seems to make more sense to wait until you have all of the pieces in that you wanted in in the next release and then push it out. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's typically what I'm seeing. So you could do something like that if you had a custom web backend or something that you were working on. Are a lot of people doing that these days? Uh, some of the bigger companies seem to be doing it. I think Square is doing it. And these are just companies that I've talked to. I think Etsy is doing it. In fact, I think they made a kind of a big deal about it. Who else? There are several other companies out there that do that kind of thing. It's like the test pass, it's all good, and then it pushes out. I wouldn't be surprised if GitHub or some of these others do it too. But yeah, it's just another step in your continuous integration that does a deployment push. So Kevin, you're you're an independent developer, right? Yep. I've been independent for about a year and a half now, I guess. I uh, was was doing contracting work through other companies before that. So so if you go to a client and you want to set up CI, <clears throat> how, do you, how, do you, how do you make that sale to the client? How do you kind of convince them that this is kind of the right way to do things? This is going to be more effective in the long run. What's your, what's your approach for that? Well, I guess it varies depending on, on the client and what, you know, if they are already bought into CI or not. At different times, it's been, you know, like at some clients have already had 
continuous integration, but not any Macs of their own to run Jenkins on. And so I've just set it up on my own and kind of granted them access to, to see things or just tell them about it, depending on how interested they are. And other projects that they've been very, you know, very bought into the whole thing and actually have set it up on their own uh, with uh, Travis CI, for example, on one of the recent projects since Travis now supports the building for Mac platforms. If they're hesitant or, you know, think it's something that's just going to cost them money and not give them much value, then if I'm on a team, I'm still going to set it up on my own. If I'm, if it's just me, I'll probably just do testing and maybe not set up CI for that project. It kind of depends. If I, if I do it on my own, then it's on my own time for my own peace of mind. So you talked about Travis. How does Travis relate? Yeah, it's another, yeah, it's, it's, it's like an alternative to, to Jenkins or the, the new bot stuff. And there are many others, uh, out there, but Travis CI has, has some cool features around, uh, you had a Travis config file to your project and register the project with Travis and then it'll, uh, integrate with your, your GitHub and run for you from there based on that configuration file. Okay. So I'm working on a project right now and we'd like to set up CI. But it's kind of a startup. There's no real office. Are there any cloud options for setting up this kind of stuff? There are some out there. I, I haven't used them myself. I know there's, I'm going to forget the names. And I think some of them actually that like a year ago I had uh, listed out at one point. And I think some of them have actually gone under since since then, which is unfortunate. But I know there was some like a hosted CI, like hosted-ci.com I think was one. There was some that was, were sort of dedicated to that. And then the other option, if you're trying to do cloud, like just set up Jenkins on your own and sort of in the cloud for a distributed team to have easier access to, um, I think your best options are, are things like Mac Mini Colo, where you can have a mini that's available out there and then you can administer it any way you want. So be the same kind of setup you would do on your local machine or the, the iMac in your house, just on a disk in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Okay, I hadn't heard of that. That's cool. Does Team City I, do um, iOS builds? Yeah, you can you can kick off iOS builds from Team City. So that I mean that's another option. JetBrains. <laughs> yeah, they do good stuff. I liked. I've used Team City. I liked it. I thought I saw something from Mac Mini Colo that was specifically targeted at running bots, but I I can't. I don't know where that went. So they may have a new service available. So have you guys done much with the bots with the CI features, I guess, in Xcode? I haven't. I, was, I thought you had to have a different machine, so i got to go download the server and give it a shot. I haven't too much. I've just heard all the horror stories from people that have been playing with it, say <laughs> so they don't work. So I don't I don't need to be like the early adopter and this kind of stuff. I'll wait, I'll wait for something that kind of works, then I can start playing with it. Yeah, get a tutorial out there. Or just a thumbs up that the documentation yeah. is correct and it actually works. I can go from there, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it sounds really interesting, and I definitely like the idea of being able to run stuff from my machine. Now, is it designed to actually exercise the UI, or does it just do unit test-like stuff like some of these other systems do? I haven't really even looked into what it is. You know, I've only been, in the little bit of playing I've done, It's only I've only been doing just bare-bones unit tests with no UI, you know. I From what I believe I've heard is that there's problems with trying to get UI automation running on it 
so and I a lot of the other things I think are, are having trouble getting hooked in properly. Um, you know, people are changing some of their code management to try and get it to work where, you know, if they're using CocoaPods or submodules, they're they're sort of more vendoring that stuff in so that it's it's out there and, and not causing issues. But as far as getting UI testing out there, I don't know. I haven't I haven't heard if anyone's using Calabash or Frank or any of those out there for that. Yeah, my previous client did some work with just using the creating JavaScript scripts to run the UI automation stuff, and they were able to kick off kind of a smoke test with with the check-ins and builds. So it is possible, and there are definitely quirks. It would just crash for no reason, break the build, and it was just a kind of simulator hanging or whatever. But it's possible. Okay, and that was through the bot stuff. Um, not with the bot. This was just we kicked off UI UI automation just through Git Jenkins. And I didn't really. Oh, okay. oh right. Like, yeah, we should get Jonathan Penn to come on and talk about UI automation with the JavaScript yeah. stuff because it, it looks pretty cool when he came and presented it to the Salt Lake Cocoa Heads. But I think, I think it'd be an interesting discussion to have here and just see how we can automate some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely tune in for that one. All right. Well, are there any other aspects of uh, CI or uh, your workflow in general and how this fits in that you want to go over before we get into the picks? Not really. I mean, with the the bot stuff, along with with that, with the new stuff, is that XC test framework that is sort of a rebranded OC unit. If you so, if you're using the official X unit test framework in Xcode, where you just create a new test target and new test class, and, and sort of go the the orthodox Apple route with it. Now there's a new prefix for things. It's it's from what I can tell, not terribly different at this point. But I, I'm hoping it's setting the stage for some some more nice stuff. But it seems like, you know, I'm trying to use more of the XC unit stuff on my current project because I tried using Specta recently, and I think I just had horrible timing because, uh, you know, it was with the new Xcode five, and I, and, and I don't think it's it's had as much time to to get up to speed with the with the bot stuff and everything. So uh, XC test is the new official Apple way of writing unit tests, and. Uh, it's it's not uh, BDD style. It's it's regular XUnit style, but it's pretty easy to grasp. So if you're looking for where to start, that it may not be the prettiest or, or most hip, but it it should get the job job done for you. Yeah, and if you got the old send test cases, they pretty much map over one to one at this point, like you were saying. So you don't have to change your logic too much. They'll actually run the conversion yeah, for you, better. kind of. <laughs> right. Yeah, it'll it'll mess up your project, but it'll convert the test for you. You just got to fix up your project afterwards if you run the conversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that Xcode will attempt to convert things for you and and make sure you're synced up and have a clean source code repository before you attempt it. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm just gonna throw my uh, weight behind setting up a CI machine. I've seen this pay off on a lot of teams in a lot of ways. I've set it up on at least two or three of the teams that I've worked on, and Overall, it's just it's really nice to have that one place where you can say, okay, it either works or it doesn't. So it works on my machine isn't an excuse anymore. It's, you know, it really does come down to, okay, it works there. That's the canonical place. You know, it builds properly. It does what it's supposed to do. Here are the static analysis tools that tell us how good our code is and, and gives you that kind of collaboration point. And it's also a really easy way, as I said before, for clients or product people to look up there and just get a quick idea of what the status is. It's broken, it's not, and and where you're at. So, 
anyway, I really like it. And I've used Jenkins in the past, and, and there are things I like about it and things I don't. Most of the things I don't like about it basically boil down to the UI. I think the UI is hideous. Um, but uh, it, it is a great tool for getting that stuff together, and you can put a dashboard up somewhere where you can just see it running. So so go check it out, and if, if people have questions or run into problems trying to set it up, um, is there a way that they can reach out to you, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I'm Muntzman, M-U-N-C-M-A-N, pretty much everywhere. So Gmail or Twitter or app.net or whatever. So yeah, go ahead and ping me. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do the picks then. Um, Rod, what are your picks? All right. I found that service that I was talking about. It's called Xcode Server Hosting. And Mac, so Mac Mini Coloco will provide you with, an, with a Mac Mini with uh, Xcode Server and Mavericks installed on it. So you can do your continuous integration with bots and everything for just uh, $79 a month. So this seems like a pretty good deal. And my other pick, I just wanted to pick Ben's NS Screencast again. It always comes in handy, even if you're not a beginner for reference materials. I'd get up to speed with ResKit, and he's got three great videos up there on ResKit. So that was nice. So NS Screencast. Awesome. That's it. Uh, James, what are your picks? Okay, along the lines of what we're talking today, I've been playing with OC Hamcrest, the assertion language. It's kind of a replacement for XCT test, the kind of the built-in assertion language that you have to write your tests because doing capital X, capital C, capital T before every assertion is hard to type <laughs> and kind of annoying to read. But OC Hamcrest is based off the Hamcrest project. If you come from Java background, you know about it. Uh, it's a really cool, kind of a clean way to write kind of your assertions and pretty powerful matching. So you can do things like make sure there's a class of this type in an array, which is harder to do with kind of the the base assertions, so some really cool stuff like that. Another thing I want, I want to pick, I got a chance to listen to some of the older episodes that I missed, and Chuck, you were talking about Emacs, but I think it's a little a little dangerous to recommend Emacs without telling people to switch their caps lock key to command, or to control, because if you do like control A, control W, control Y, all that stuff, you know, hundreds of times a day, you're going to screw up your hand, so switch your caps lock to control, and your fingers will love you for it. So those are my picks. All right. I've had kind of a crazy morning, and I didn't have a chance to get picks together, so I'm going to pass this week. Kevin, what are your picks? Uh, my picks, uh, it was hard picking picks that haven't been picked before. <laughs> so the since lately I've been dealing with a lot of mock UI mocks from designers, I've got two sort of design asset-based picks. Uh, the first is Sketch. Uh, by Bohemian Coding, it's interface uh, tool, design tool. It's it's kind of uh, in a way sort of a like you use, might use it the same way as you used Adobe Illustrator in the past, and it's got a, a nice uh, companion iPad or iPhone app called Mirror Sketch Mirror, and it lets you see your your designs on your phone in a nice mirrored way, so similar to some of the stuff like Xscope and, and Live View and those do, but uh, with a nice Design tool on the on the desktop side. And the other one uh, that is sort of the newest one for me is called Pixa, P-I-X-A, and it's a graphic asset management tool. And it's been handy for me instead of sort of going through a Dropbox folder looking for what I need. Uh, it's it's helping me find the the images I need much quicker. Basically, I point it at at the the, the Dropbox folder wherever the designer's putting things, and I can look at things based on 
all sorts of attributes, including like what color, like I'm looking for, you know, a yellow icon and I can tap one, one tag on the side and see all the yellow images that it knows about. So those are my picks. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming, Kevin. Really appreciate you taking the time to come out and talk to us about this. Sure. Thanks for having me. Keep fighting the good fight. Yep. <laughs> All right. Are you going to be Are you going to be speaking or traveling anywhere where people can come and see you? I'll be actually. This is why I'm part of why I'm looking at the bot stuff is I'm going to be talking about that uh, at Code Mash in January in Sandusky, Ohio. Well, there you go. So if you want to see Kevin speak, go to Code Mash in Ohio, or you can reach out to him in, in the ways that he mentioned before. And with that, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week.